Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Carlos Correa has decided to change his mind. The former Houston Astro world champion, all-star, just a week ago, signed a 13-year, $350 million deal with no trade clause to become the face of the San Francisco Giants. That was still the case yesterday. And then I wake up this morning to find out, no, 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 no. Carlos never signed his paperwork. And instead, he's now agreed to a 12-year, $315 million deal to go play for the New York Mets. Gotta love baseball. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one. Also slightly bearded these days, Raymond Parts the third. Of course, I'm joined in the studio by Hannah Two Jackets. We got a great show lined up for you today. Tremendous show. We're gonna be talking all things college football bowl season, national signing day with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. He'll join us at 7:30 this morning at 8 o'clock. James Mueller, he covers the University of Houston Cougars who take on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns Friday in Shreveport in the Independence Bowl. And then Andrew Juch, our buddy from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, will break down the latest news about yet another offensive lineman missing time for the New Orleans Saints. The hits just keep on coming for the black and gold. We'll also, of course, touch on the big news that happened less than an hour ago. Pittsburgh Steeler, legend, four-time Super Bowl champion, one of the greatest running backs to ever play, and a man involved in one of the greatest and most controversial plays in NFL history. Franco Harris passed away. It was announced this morning. Less than an hour ago, the news broke and has been confirmed by Franco's family. We'll talk about his legacy and what he meant as well. And that's all going to be coming up. And of course... We love to hear from you. Game hotlines open on this National Signing Day edition of the show. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And as soon as we get updates involving the LSU Tigers, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the McNeese Cowboys, we'll share that with you as well. But we're going to start off with Carlos. The man changed his mind. Can you imagine changing your mind and it not having any real consequences? 
Like you decide to take a job and you back out. And this happens, right? We've all done that. But imagine having the flexibility of saying, you know what? 13-year deal worth $350 million. Nah. Nah, fam, I'm good. I'm just going to go take this 12-year, $315 million deal instead. (laughs) What? What? Now, there was some rumbling starting yesterday about Correa and the historic 13-year, $350 million contract that he agreed to terms with with the Giants last week. That the deal was scheduled to be announced and be made official in a news conference yesterday. But the Giants announced yesterday morning that it had been postponed. The Associated Press, meanwhile, reported that an undisclosed medical concern arose during Carlos Correa's physical examination that gave people pause. Remember, Carlos has been banged up in his career. Remember him missing significant time with the Astros due to a massage he received that broke some ribs. So Carlos has had some interesting injuries occur in his young career. But people throughout Major League Baseball spoke to ESPN on Tuesday and said they still expected the deal to be finalized. Well, because the Giants apparently reportedly had some concerns about Carlos's physical examination, the Mets said, we got this. Swooped in and gave them the 12-year deal worth $315 million, and sources now say that Carlos is going to sign that deal. Now, the deal with the Mets has to be finalized, and like the prior agreement with the Giants, it's also pending the completion of a physical which is interesting. But he would team up with his good friend and fellow Puerto Rican, Francisco Lindor, who signed a 10-year, $340 million extension with the Mets back in April of 2021. Now, both players play the same position. So how's that going to work? Well, reportedly, They would keep Lindor at shortstop and have Correa, who did fill in at third base in his time with the Astros when Bregman was banged up, would move over to third base. By adding Carlos Correa on a 12-year, $315 million deal, the Mets, with their, I would, let's say, aggressive owner, Steve Cohen, has committed more than $800 million in free agents this offseason. I didn't stutter. The man has signed checks for $800 million just to free agents this offseason. That's not counting the checks that he's, he's signing and making sure the players that were already on the roster are being paid. 
They brought back their center fielder, Brandon Nemo, and closer Edwin Diaz on nine-figure contracts. They brought out and got Houston Astros starting pitcher Justin Verlander. They brought in Singa. They brought in Quintana. They brought in a couple of relievers, including David Robertson. They brought in a catcher, Omar Narvez. Their competitive balance tax payroll now projects to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $380 million. That's more than a quarter of a billion dollars for a payroll in Major League Baseball for one season. Oh, my goodness. The fourth and final threshold of the luxury tax in Major League Baseball, which has now been lovingly referred to as the Steve Cohen tax, sits at $293 million, so they passed that by $100 million, man. Which means the Mets will get a tax bill in the neighborhood of over $100 million. Say what? Say what? The amount of money thrown around is ridiculous. Aaron Judge, Trey Turner, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson. Now Carlos Correa gets paid an enormous amount of money for a second time in the in the span of a week. Now, Carlos, as I mentioned, has been banged up. He's a two-time All-Star. World Series champion, former number one overall pick. He's been a very good player when healthy. But he's battled injuries to his thumb, to his back, to his ribs. From 2017 to 19, that was a three-year stretch where he averaged just 98 games per season. So this is a guy that has on the resume greatness, but also health concerns. Now, that didn't stop the Giants from initially offering him a $350 million deal for 13 years. But when they did their physical examination, something gave them pause, and they went, oh, well, say what? Now, in football terms, could this be a Miami Dolphins-Drew Brees situation? Remember, the Dolphins wanted Drew Brees. Nick Saban wanted Drew Brees. They were signing things. They go through the physical examination, and the doctors say, you shouldn't do this deal because we don't know if he can throw the football with his shoulder injury. And then, well, the rest is history. Saban flamed out as the Dolphins head coach. The Saints got Drew Brees, won a Super Bowl. Saban went to Alabama and made the rest of the Southeastern Conference life, well, miserable for 15 years. Medical decisions and physical examinations matter. (laughs) Not saying this is what's going to happen, but Mets swoop in reportedly and get Carlos Correa to switch his mind from the San Francisco Giants to come sign with them for a 12-year deal worth $315 million. I've said it before. i said it again. For all those who want to yell that baseball is not relevant, 
guys, we have a team that's going to have a payroll more than a quarter of a billion dollars for this year. There is stupid money in Major League Baseball. But we'll see what happens with this Carlos Correa deal. Will they get through the physical examination or will the Mets not care even if they do have concerns that give them pause? Are they going to be like, screw it. We're rolling with this guy. We don't care. Remember, this is also the same franchise that is still paying Bobby Bonilla money every year and the man hasn't played in Major League Baseball for nearly 20 years because they've been known to give out stupid contracts before. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and company, Franco Harris, four-time Super Bowl champ and the man involved in one of the most famous, if not the most infamous plays in NFL history, passed away. We'll talk about that next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number one. Remember to actually leave milk and cookies for Santa and not some hipster healthy option. The big fella is holly and jolly for a reason. This helpful holiday tip brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, if you're looking for great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, hey, look no further than the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's still not too late. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes. Hey, in there right now, $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Great casual dining. They have some of the most tremendous and largest fried cheese sticks you will ever see great comfort food there at mabel's but also in the clubhouse for you to win a 150 dollars gift certificate to mr lester's steakhouse one of my favorite places to go in acadiana every time i go they make my steak perfect medium rare just the way i like it side dishes tremendous desserts come out on a big three-tier tray adult beverages it is a tremendous time down at Mr. Lester's. But you can only win those great gift certificates, which would make amazing stocking stuffers, by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. That way you can have the chance to score those great items. It's free. It's simple. Go sign up today. Franco Harris, four-time Super Bowl champion and a man behind what I would consider the most iconic play in NFL history, the Immaculate Reception, passed away at the age of 72. His family confirms the news that he had passed away overnight, confirmed that to the Associated Press less than an hour ago. And what is just sad and surreal all at the same time is that this Saturday they were going to retire his number 32 jersey in Pittsburgh and it's also the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception 
They had timed it all together. Franco's jersey was finally going to get retired, number 32. It was the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, which he was involved in. It was all going to happen at the same time. And he passes away a few days before that happens, a few days before Christmas. It's absolutely surreal. Harris played in the NFL during a time where running backs still mattered. And they still ran the ball hard. He was never the fastest, maybe not even the strongest guy, but he was tough as nails. And he rushed for over 12,000 yards back in the day. That's when guys could get hit. That's when the equipment wasn't exactly phenomenal. (laughs) It just wasn't. It was a different era. More than 12,000 yards. He was top three in rushing in the time that he retired. And he was a foundation piece for the Steelers' dynasty. Leading the ground game with Terry Bradshaw at quarterback. Swan and Stallworth at wide receiver. And, of course, defensively, the Steel Curtain defense with Jack Lambert and Mean Joan Green and the rest of the guys. And if it's not for his hustle play the landscape of the NFL may not be what it is today. The Steelers were a team that were trying to find their identity. They had never had playoff success. And in the ball game, in the playoffs against their rival, the Oakland Raiders, which was one of the best rivalries of the 1970s in the NFL, Harris comes up with the most iconic play in NFL history, a play that's still debated to this day. And even with all the technology we have, you still break down the film and you're not quite sure if it was actually a catch or not. Because at that time, the technology was limited and the camera angle never really goes all the way down to see if he actually catches the ball. And for those of you who don't know who the what the Immaculate Reception is, 1972 playoffs. Pittsburgh's trailing Oakland 7-6. They're facing a fourth and 10 from their own 40-yard line. And there's only 22 seconds left on the clock. That's it. Bradshaw goes back and throws a deep pass to Fuqua, the other Steelers running back. But Jack Tatum, an absolutely phenomenal player, Hall of Famer for Oakland, collides with Fuqua and sends the ball just projecting. Like it's a pass deflection, but with a lot of a lot of force behind it, almost like a batted ball, if you will. And the ball starts going towards midfield. Once again, it's fourth and 10 from their own 40 with 22 seconds left. Game over, right? But Harris is over there in that direction, hustling. Everyone else on the field stopped moving because they thought the play was over, but not Franco. 
Franco kept running. He snatches the ball inches from above the turf there at Three Rivers Stadium, which no longer exists in Pittsburgh. Near the Oakland 45-yard line, and then outraces several Raider defenders to give the Steelers their first playoff victory in the franchise's four-decade history. Now, you can't really tell because of the angle. You don't get to see it all. Some people, many diehard Raider fans, say the ball touches the turf, which would make it incomplete. There's not a great camera angle that is definitive even after all these days. I think it's a catch. I always thought it was a catch, but you can tell where some people would say it touches the ground. That changes everything. Because not only do the Steelers win that game, they go on to win the Super Bowl in the next couple years. Because people forget, they think, oh, the Immaculate Reception, Pittsburgh then goes on and wins the Super Bowl that year. They didn't. They actually ended up losing to the Miami Dolphins in the AFC Championship game. But what the Immaculate Reception did was it laid the foundation for what would come for the Steelers. They got over the hump. They got a playoff win. They got their confidence. They believed that they were, in fact, a legitimate contender in the NFL, and then they would go on to become the team of the 70s. Lombardi's Packers in the 60s, Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s, San Francisco 49ers in the 80s, Dallas Cowboys in the 90s. They won back-to-back Super Bowls twice in the 70s. 74, 75, and then they did it again, 78 and 79. But none of that happens. They may win a one Super Bowl. They may even win two Super Bowls, right? But what the Immaculate Reception represented was that Pittsburgh had finally gotten over the hump. That everything that they had been building there with Bradshaw, with Franco, with the Steel Curtain defense, it all came together. They didn't win the Super Bowl that year. That belongs to the undefeated Miami Dolphins. But they got over the hump. And he was part of that. Great running back, big guy, six foot two, 230 pounds. Back when running backs were still built like Mack trucks. That's what Franco was. Played his college ball at Penn State. In their Super Bowl victory over Minnesota. He put together a record 158 yards on the ground. To win the game's MVP award. He scored at least once in three of the four Super Bowls he played in. 354 yards in the four Super Bowls, which remains a record nearly four decades after his retirement. No one has rushed for more yards in the Super Bowl than Franco Harris. Just unbelievable player, Hall of Famer, who's passed away now at the age of 72, just a few days before his number 32 was to be retired in a ceremony in Pittsburgh 
against the Raiders. That's how they organized it. 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. They were retire Franco's number, and the opponent for the Steelers is going to be the Raiders. Surreal. Absolutely surreal. Prayers and thoughts go out to Franco Harris's family as well as the family of the Pittsburgh Steelers. we got to take a timeout. When we return, National Signing Day is today, but the LSU Tigers wasted no time getting guys out of the transfer portal early. A slew of activity yesterday on the eve of National Signing Day. We'll share that with you. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number 12. Use caution when adding bourbon to your eggnog. Everyone likes a good time, but no one wants to see you have a pants down, face down in the yard good time, okay? This helpful holiday tip brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Are you chipmunks ready to sing your song? Oh, here we are. Yeah. Let's sing it now. Okay, Simon. Okay. Okay, Theodore. Okay. Okay, Alvin. Alvin. Alvin! You can listen to all your favorite Christmas classics like the Alvin and the Chipmunks or some of your better known local Cajun Christmas songs on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. That's nonstop Christmas music, 24-7 on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. You can listen live at lachristmaschannel.com. That's lachristmaschannel.com. Or download the free mobile app on both Apple or your Android devices. You can also listen to the Louisiana Christmas Channel on your Amazon Alexa. So listen to some holiday cheer with the Louisiana Christmas Channel. I was playing that bad boy yesterday while taking my daughter out to buy a gift for her mom. She requested, Daddy, can we listen to Christmas music? I said, not a problem. Pulled up the app on the phone, plugged in my phone into the USB port in the car, and off we went with all the holly jolliness in the car yesterday and at home because we had to continue it when we got at home. Oh, man, we have a poll question of the day to get to. You know, it's all about the Christmas this week. We are asking you, what's the best part of the gingerbread activity? That's our foodie poll question of the day. This is inspired by Miss Hannah Five Names, a.k.a. Two Jackets. What's the best part of the gingerbread activity? Is it eating the toppings? the gumdrops and all this stuff that you put on top of that gingerbread house? Is it building the house, constructing it, having to get the icing proper to actually keep the walls of the gingerbread house together? Is it eating the gingerbread man or is it other? That's our foodie poll question of the week, which is, of course, our poll question of the day every Wednesday. And, of course, we're keeping the Christmas thing going this week right now leading the vote with 50 percent is other 33 percent say eating the gingerbread man 
17% say eating the toppings. No votes yet for the actual construction of the house. Let's get to some comments. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I'm sorry, but the words of this poll are confusing in my brain parts. I've never heard of the gingerbread activity. If you're meeting decorating gingerbread, then I would say the eating of the broken parts you cannot repair. Slightly overcooked gingerbread parts are good. Ralph says, in the interest of humanity, I'll stick with the toppings and spare my little friend. Of course, the gingerbread man from Shrek. <laughs> and then Hart just shared another gift of the gingerbread man. You came up with this poll question. Two jackets. What's your favorite part or what's, as you described it, the best part of the gingerbread activity? You made it sound so soulless. Like it's a science project. Gingerbread activity on floor three. So sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> I actually wrote this while I was eating pizza at CC's. This is when I wrote this. But uh, my favorite part is actually I will decorate the gingerbread men. Because I'll do the house first. And then I'll decorate the gingerbread men. And then I will eat them limb from limb. That's my best part. Decorating them and then make them look all pretty and then I eat them. But apparently, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to melt down sugar instead. And you melt down the sugar and use it like kind of like a super glue. And you use that to build the house. And then you use just the icing part to put on all the toppings to like decorate the house. All transparency. Because we're all about the honesty here on mm -hmm. RP3 and Cuffy. We pride ourselves on being transparent. Yep. I've never once made a gingerbread house. I've never once bought a kit to make a gingerbread house. Also, I don't like gingerbread. So I voted other, and my instinct would be, what would be the best part of the gingerbread activity? Taking it and throwing it in the trash. That's how I would feel about that. That's kind of mean. Or, or if someone gifted me a gingerbread house, I would then turn it around and give it to Hannah Five Names and say, hey, I don't like this, but I know you do. Here you go. Merry Christmas. Now, you see, the thing is, though, you don't have to actually use gingerbread if you don't want to. Time out. If you don't like out. gingerbread, Time out. you can make a gingerbread house. We want to use gingerbread. Time out. It's called a gingerbread house, which means it's yes. made out of gingerbread. It's like saying... I have a wooden house, and then it's made out of brick. Yeah. Doesn't work. Well, when you wait too late to do it, to go get your kits at the uh -oh. Walmarts and stuff, uh -oh. so then your aunt and your stepmom decide they're going to go to the Walmarts, and instead they get graham crackers and the, like, funfetti, confetti, whatever, icing or whatever. And they just get toppings out of like the candy aisle. That's what your your plan is. I was done. at the store yesterday afternoon. Did you get a kit? Did not get a kit. But there was a plethora of kits. So much so when I looked around and I go, Boy, they're really gonna be stuck with a lot of these. <laughs> like it's can't wait to see these at a discounted price because there was shelves and displays of gingerbread kits at the store, and no one was getting them. There was one year that they had; they didn't have enough. 
and they ran out in the slidells and we used it, it, in the walmarts in the slidells uh -huh. why has everything got an s on the end today because because <laughs> in the slidells <laughs> as if there's two slidells yeah oh only certain words get s's i don't know how to decide them they just do it just happens mm -hmm. so keep voting keep casting your votes on the poll question of the day it's our foodie poll question of the week what's the best part of the gingerbread activity or what's the best part of making a gingerbread house right now 50 percent of you say other 33 percent say eating the gingerbread man which that's kind of five names aka two jackets choice and 17 percent say eating the toppings keep those comments coming leave them on facebook and twitter just make sure you keep it clean for the kids today is national signing day as well and we expect a flurry of activity for LSU, Louisiana, and even McNeese. Hearing some buzz coming out of Lake Charles that even though the Cowboys are an FCS program, that they're going to be signing some guys during the early period, which is a great sign for Gary Goff as he enters year number two, as does Coach Dez and Coach Brian Kelly. LSU, though, got a shot in the arm last night. In the span of 10 minutes, Three guys all transferred to LSU. Florida defensive tackle and former top Louisiana prospect Jalen Lee decides to transfer and come back to Louisiana play for the LSU Tigers. Oregon outside linebacker Braden Swinson also decides to commit to the LSU Tigers. And Arizona... Edge rusher Paris Shan does the same thing. Three transfers from three Power Five schools, Florida, Oregon, and Arizona, all opt to commit within a 10-minute period last night. Phenomenal. And defensive line in the front seven was going to be an area of concern for Brian Kelly. Yesterday, we also find out that Roy announces that he's declared for the draft, so he's leaving. They were going to need some bodies up there. That was going to be a point of emphasis in this recruiting cycle. Well, guess what? They got a jump start on things by having three guys, Florida defensive tackle Jalen Lee, Oregon outside linebacker Braden Swinson, and Arizona edge rusher Parrish Shan all announced within – a 10-minute period last night that they were, in fact, transferring to LSU. Absolutely phenomenal news for Brian Kelly and the Tigers to have that happen. Also being announced last night, former LSU Tiger Cam Wire, his career never really worked out. He was okay, but never great with the Tigers, offensive lineman. He is going to be staying in the state of Louisiana. He announced that he is going and transferring to Tulane. The Green Wave have been busy as well on the recruiting trail and with transfers. Many guys are coming in to play for the Green Wave. It helps when you have a record-breaking season and you get to play in the Cotton Bowl. Don't tell me bowl games don't matter because they do. Let's quickly head out to the hotline. 
Welcome on, Reynold. Oh, our guy, the chef extraordinaire. Good morning, sir. Merry Christmas to you and yours. What's on your mind, bud? Morning. Morning. Merry Christmas to you and Miss Anna. You know what? You were talking about it, it was sad when I heard about um, uh, Franco. Franco Harris. I, I remember that game. And I don't think people realize how big that was because we're talking about I remember, uh, for some reason, I don't know why I remember this for so long, but you remember the Mary Tyler Moore uh, show? Yes. Well, I think that was filmed in Pittsburgh, and or the show was based in Pittsburgh. And I remember they won that game, and Mary Tyler Moore was like one of the number one TV shows in America. It was big. And I remember before they had stopped it on the intro – and I remember they, they stopped and Mary, Mary Tyler Moore came on and said, uh, we're proud of Pittsburgh Steelers. If they win the next playoff, we will air the game. If not, we will come on and play, play the show. People you need to remember, that was not too far after the Heidi incident. Remember when uh, they had a, a guy who was playing and they went to overtime? Well, the Raiders were playing, in. weren't they? Huh? Weren't the Raiders playing for the Heidi game? I, maybe I, I don't remember, but then Heidi came in and pissed off a lot of people. But it was around the same <laughs> yes. time, so it was a big deal. Uh, and I remember there was a lot of buzz about it. So I remember that game. I watched that game. Sixty-eight was the Heidi from, game between uh-huh. the Raiders and the Jets. It was in, in nineteen sixty-eight, and yeah. and they turned away from that ball game to <laughs> to 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 the play Heidi. to play the television film Heidi. Yes. Yeah. Which caused a lot of the but viewers things, to miss the Raiders' uh, great comeback against the Jets. But things back then weren't weren't like it. I mean, you only had Yankee TV, so you had what you had. So I, for some reason, I remember them coming in. So the and the Pittsburgh they won the the Pittsburgh won, and Mary Tyler Moore didn't show didn't come on. So uh, that brings like a, a lot of memories, and that that. And from then on, they beat the crap out of the Saints for a lot of a lot of years. <laughs> yes, they did. And look, and that year they don't win the Super Bowl. The Dolphins do, of course. The undefeated Dolphins, the only undefeated team to do so. But it sets up. It got the Steelers over the hump. Yeah. And they figured out that they could win, and they were a contender. And then they end up winning four Super Bowls in the seventies. Yeah, uh, great memories, man. And you're right; they don't make running backs like. Franco Harris anymore because back then it was just bruiser just you know we're gonna run it down your throat stop us and you know things have changed over the years the air raid all that stuff but I still love that that's that style of, of football just smash mouth I love that same here brother appreciate the phone call bud Merry Christmas to you and your family my friend you too Merry Christmas yeah I mean look uh, for for those of us who are old enough, we watched Franco Harris. We watched John Riggins. We watched Earl Campbell, right? We watched O.J. Simpson. We watched big, powerful running backs back in an era when running backs actually mattered. They, they don't. It's, it's a different game. The game has evolved, you know. Those guys that played in the 70s for the Raiders and for the Steelers and for the Dolphins, the Dolphins with the great no-name defense. Yeah, yeah. Minnesota had the purple people eaters. All those guys back then, you know, 
could they really even play now? They would be flagged constantly. <laughs> the game has changed. The game has changed. Now, we can argue whether or not it's for the better. I would say no, but that's because I'm old and traditional. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here, we'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. You know, I'm dreaming of, I'm I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I've had a white Christmas before. And I'll probably watch White Christmas in the next few days. Which I love. And I love that song. But you know what I also love? I love the fact that we live in an era where guys can go play for like four or five schools in their college career. I know I'm going to sound like the get off the lawn old guy here. But shout out to JT Daniels. My man is now transferring to Rice. The former National High School Player of the Year who began his collegiate career playing for the USC Trojans, then went to the Georgia Bulldogs, then went to West Virginia. Now he's going to Rice. 17-12 and as a starter in his career, now going to be playing for his fourth team. Rice is having a good recruiting class. They're coming off a, a kind of a breakthrough year, the Owls are. Bringing in someone like JT Daniels is going to give them some stability, and it's great for that program, and I get it. But Daniels, man, <laughs> started 10 games for West Virginia this past season. At Georgia, he went 3-0 and as a starter during the national title campaign in 2021 before losing the job to Stinson Bennett. He'll be 23 in February. Whew. Fourth team, bud, in like five years. Congratulations. We got to take a timeout, wrap up that done. We're done with our number one, JT Daniels. Our number two coming up right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Oh, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the holiday weekend because... Our last day this week is going to be Thursday. We're off Friday, and then we're also off on Monday because I got Hannah Five Names, a.k.a. Two Jackets over there doing parallettes inside the producer studio, talking about wedding stuff and adding S's to towns, and she's all over the place today. She's ready. She's ready, ready to roll. <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Oh, 30 minutes from now, 
<laughs> Bill Bender from the Sporting News will join us to talk all things college football, bowl season, national signing day. I'll ask him about the adventures of JT Daniels, maybe. Uh, once again, JT Daniels is headed to Rice. He's going to be part of the best recruiting class in program history. JT first started playing college football in 2018. Think about that for a minute. 2018, he played at USC. 2019, shredded his knee in the opener. Got the medical redshirt. 2020, starts at Georgia. 2021, begins the season starting at Georgia, loses his job to Stinson Bennett. They go on to win the national title. He transfers out of Georgia. Plays at West Virginia last year. As the starter, 10 games, and now is headed to Rice. My man will be have played for and started for four different Power Five schools in a six year span if he wins the starting job and plays next season in 2023. Four different schools, six years, a starter at all of them. And what a wild adventure that is! Imagine what his diaries like. Life in California at USC as the nation's top recruit, just not at quarterback. He was the nation's number one overall prospect. Blue chipper all day long. Go from lovely Southern California to then Athens, Georgia, to then in the Appalachian Mountains, of West Virginia, and now he'll be playing in Houston for the Rice Owls. What an adventure for JT Daniels. It is National Signing Day. Once we get updates from LSU, from UL, from McNeese, we will, of course, will share them with you today as it is National Signing Day. We're expecting signees for all three programs, which is great for all three coaches as they enter their second offseason at the helm of those programs. Brian Kelly, as we talked about earlier on the show, got a big shot in the arm last night with not one, not two, but three different defensive players deciding to transfer in via the portal. Florida defensive tackle Jalen Lee, Oregon linebacker Braden Swinson, and Arizona edge rusher Paris Shan all made their announcements within a 10-minute period. Almost feels like it was coordinated. <laughs> by the players they're all coming so three guys that will likely be starters in LSU's front seven for next season make their intentions known last night on the eve of national signing day so good start to the early period for Brian Kelly and his staff also breaking overnight Carlos Correa changes his mind last week the former Houston Astro star, all-star, World Series champion, rookie of the year, number one overall draft pick, made the decision to sign a 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. But yesterday, we find out that there was a minor issue during the examination process. 
Remember, Carlos has dealt with a plethora of injuries, thumb, back, ribs. He missed a considerable amount of time between 2017 and 2019. That said, people still expected the deal to go through with the Giants. There was supposed to be a press conference yesterday, but it didn't happen. And instead, the Mets reportedly have swooped in and are giving Carlos Correa a 12-year deal worth only $315 million. Cohen and the Mets continue to be aggressive with their spending. $800 million in contracts this offseason for the Mets alone. $800 million. A stunning, stunning development as a guy was going to be the face of one franchise and instead decides to sign with another. Now he's going to be joined by his good friend, Lindor. They're very close friends. They're both from Puerto Rico. He also reunites with his former teammate in Justin Verlander, who, of course, was signed in free agency this offseason by the Mets. So the Mets are trying to buy their way to a World Series championship. We'll see how that works out for him. Typically, it doesn't. Ask the Yankees. It hasn't worked out for the better part of 15 years. Now, the Dodgers would point to and say, well, it can be done. But a stunner overnight with Carlos Correa flipping between the Giants and going to the Mets, almost like a National Signing Day commit flipping. (laughs) Carlos Correa is like, hey, I want to be part of this action. And, you know, doesn't have the historic 13-year deal now tied with the longest of all time with Bryce Harper. No, no. And he's not going to get paid $350 million, but don't feel bad for Carlos. He's still getting a 12-year deal that's worth $315 million. I don't even know what I would do with that kind of money. Because in baseball, that's guaranteed money. It's like even if you are terrible, even if you fall off the face of a cliff with your talent and your skill set, you're still getting paid. I don't even know what I would do with $300 million. What could I possibly do? Like there's only so much money that you can spend. Plus I'm very frugal. Or some people would call cheap. Or as my Jewish grandmother used to say, she called me a miser. Which is just another way of calling you cheap. 315, like, what would you even do with that? Like, I can't imagine. Like, there's things that I would want to buy with $315 million. But I could probably buy everything I've ever wanted for probably like hundred grand. And then I would just put the rest in the bank. Or be like Cousin Eddie and just put it in coffee cans in my backyard. Like $315 million. I don't even know what to do with that. I'd probably buy me a couple of cars from the 70s. Got to buy the Smokey and the Bandit car. And probably buy me a General Lee from the Dukes of Hazard. And let's see. I'd probably buy some sports memorabilia. 
I'd pay for a trip to go see my Atlanta Braves in person because I've never seen them play in person in Atlanta. I've seen them play in person like in other places like St. Louis. I'd probably do some bucket list stuff like go to the Rose Bowl, go see Michigan, Ohio State, go Army Navy game, pay for all that stuff. But that but that's that's probably pretty pretty much it. <laughs> so I, I I wouldn't be you know <laughs> if I win the lottery, I, I'm probably still working too. To be honest with you, I'm probably will be doing something. Just I don't know what I would do with three hundred and fifteen million dollars. Million dollars that's a lot of money. I mean, we're renting right now, so probably I would buy a house. <clears throat> I would buy property, right? Yeah. I, I would just buy land. I would be like, is there land for sale? Yes, I want that. You know, just keep it as an asset, but I don't know. I'd be able to maybe go to the store and, you know, stock up on some food, buy me some freezers and put some meat in there. This is how I think what I would do if I would win the lottery. (laughs) I'd probably, yeah. I don't. Some people go, oh, why wouldn't you buy like a Lamborghini or no. a mansion, I'd be like, no, I want to buy some land in the country. I need to buy freezers so I can put in, fill them up with meat. And I need the smoking the bandit car. I would probably buy, <laughs> I would probably buy land and be able to build my own house, like my own like dream house on it. I would get a really good shopping at the grocery store because I like food. And then. What else would I do? I'd probably help both all the four of my parents of paying off some kind of money to their houses that they all have. Oh, see, that's nice of you. That's sweet of you. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably, you know, look, you do the, the same thing where you'd help out family members, right? Yeah. You'd put out, I'd probably put the majority of the money aside for my daughter, you know, have yeah. that, you know, in the bank for her. That way college is taken care of. And mm-hmm. I'd go on vacations and stuff. Right. I'd probably take a, take a vacation and, like, bring my family to, to go on a vacation, like, all of us together. And I'd have taken one with all of my parents. At the same time? No. And I've done it. Ooh, but we're all, the thing is, my Would family you? is different because we all get along. You like, say I that. I have parents that get along. They don't, like, you, hate each other and want to, like, they don't, like, despise. You say that. But it's different. It's one thing to get along for the holidays. It's another thing to have to be on vacation together. All together. Oh, no, you know Disney? We're going, we're going to Disney, first of all. We're going to Disney, so they're going to have to be happy anyway. I mean, my mom and my stepdad had their honeymoon in Disney for the first time on their honeymoon with them. And I was like, one. Okay, that's great and all. So, I, you all go to Disney. But you have like fine. 18 different sets of families that you're all like wanting to put together in one vacation spot. Yeah. I, 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 there would be some disagreements there. But God bless you for wanting to be nice and take care of your family. That's great. Probably go to Disney World, right? Take the kid back to Disney. That was a great trip. Um, we do have a question. Yes. How many heated jackets can five names buy with $350 million? That's um, that's courtesy of Martin, the vice chancellor of VRAP. Uh, divide $315 million by 60 bucks. <laughs> would you... <laughs> Fix your car. I would get, get a new, a new car. car. I would get go. a good SUV. There we go. There I'm we go. not a big. There I don't want a. I don't want a little car. I don't want a small car. I don't want. I mean, I. I mean, I'd be down with the truck. So I'll be down with a really good like Ford 
truck or an SUV. That'd be my my two go tos. I don't like I don't like small cars because you can't put anything in a small car. You can't put at least a mattress on in the back to be able to be the one to haul stuff. I don't want it. If you have three hundred and fifty million dollars, I'm pretty sure you're not going to be hauling stuff. Yeah, but I have the chance to do so. Like if you go, if I go to Christmas, we went to Christmas and I already had the entire back trunk was full. And the back seat. I can't, I can't with you. I can't with you. You're Your thought mad. process is, if I get that much money, I'm still going to be hauling stuff. Like, I'm going to be helping people move. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not, Slidells. You're not, you're not going to be I doing would. that. You're going to be paying. You're going to pay someone to move somebody else with that kind of money. You'll just foot the bill for the moving company is what you're going to do. Yeah, but I don't like, I don't want to spend all the money. I would want to keep money to, like, how much do you think it costs to pay a moving company to move someone? Are you under know. the impression that's going to cost $100,000? No. <laughs> it costs us like 30 bucks to use a U-Haul truck for like two hours. Say there we go. There we go. Well, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what Carlos Correa is going to do. I doubt he takes the same approach that we would No. with his $315 million. He's going to like... Two Lamborghinis and uh, uh, probably two, te- four or five Teslas. Has his own charging station for him. Why would you want that? I don't know, because I think he's going to want. I don't know. He's different. You're different. You're different. You're different. We're all different. We got to take a time out. Don't forget to go vote on the poll question of the day, by the way. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's the best part of the gingerbread activity, a.k.a. making a gingerbread house? 45% of you say it's eating the gingerbread man. 37% say other. 9% say building the actual house. 9% say eating the toppings. (laughs) Oh, man. B-Rad says, thank you for clarifying because I didn't know what the bleep this question was talking about. We never made the house, but my grandmother made me gingerbread cookies every year, and I loved eating them. So there you go. There you go. Keep those votes coming. We apologize for any confusion. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We got to take a time out. More of the big, bald, and beautiful one and two jackets from Slidell's. It's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number 24. Do not buy your wonderful wife a mixer or knife set or any other kitchen item. Since she puts up with you all year, she deserves jewelry, you filthy animal. This helpful holiday tip brought to you by your family at The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. And they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. Look, they've earned my business in the past. They handled the countertops for our bathroom renovation a few years ago. They're going to handle the countertops for our kitchen reno as well. Chris and his team, they do a tremendous job. Not only do they have a great selection, the largest in Acadiana, 
But you know what? Customer service, man, it's top notch. They provide more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds. That's right, with a new line of grout-free showers. That's right, no muss, no fuss, and no odor. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products that Chris and his team have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their now-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it they will. National Signing Day is today. You're starting to have some activity that we can report on, courtesy of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, as they've gotten guys coming in fast and furious. Committing, signing on the dotting line, putting his paperwork in. Lake Charles Prep linebacker, Daylon Sibley, has signed with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Also signing this morning for the Cajuns, Lyndon B. Johnson High School offensive tackle out of Austin, Texas, John Bragg. He's a big fella. He has signed with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Also signing from Bowles High School in Jacksonville, Florida, offensive lineman Cooper Fordham has signed on the bottom line with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, as well as Ashton High School offensive tackle out of Arkansas, Xavier Brown signing with the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Also, Caden Jensen, Flower Round High School tight end out of Texas, has signed with the Raging Cajuns. Tavion Smith out of Jones County Junior College in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, wide receiver, could be the replacement for Jefferson. He has signed as well. Micah Johnson. Parkview Baptist High School linebacker out of Baton Rouge. That kid is an absolute monster. He is signed with the Raging Cajuns as well. Cody Jackson out of Evangel Christian High School. Safety there in Shreveport. He's coming down to Lafayette as well. And finally, Mason Clinton out of Petal High School. Defensive lineman out of Mississippi. Signs with the Raging Cajuns. So a flurry of activity so far for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns on National Signing Day. We'll keep you up to date with any more signings as well as we'll get to LSU and McNeese as well. But right now, let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Manny to the show. Manny, good morning to you, brother. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bud. What's on your mind? Man, same to you, Ray. To you, your beautiful family over there and in Sunset Grand Couture. I know y'all going to have a wonderful Christmas. Listen, Ray, uh, I want to chime in on the old JT Daniels. I heard you uh, earlier, you know, talking about the transfer portal, the fourth school in five years. Listen, this is kind of, I just want to offer an analogy, you know, and I'm not, I don't want to step on anybody's toes to be offensive, but the, the transfer portal to me is kind of like, a, you know, a marriage. You know, you, you get married and, uh, you know, everything's wonderful. You think this is the greatest thing. And, and then you realize, uh-oh, you know, this person is not good, <laughs> terrible. Uh, I, I got to get out of here. You know, he or she is not nearly what I thought 
he or she was going to be. Let me hit the road. Okay, well, all right. Then you get out of there and, you know, you go on down the road to the, you find the next person or in this instance, the next school. And you get there and you say, oh, this is wonderful. Great. Everything's great. And then after a short period of time, you say, oh, my goodness, this place or in the marriage analogy, this person is terrible. He or she is not nearly what I thought she was going to be. Now, you know, Ray, that second time, you might want to start thinking, hmm, it might be me that's terrible, or it might be me that's not nearly what I thought I was. There it is. And, you know, uh, maybe I need to rethink this whole thing. So this is what I think we should do. I'll, listen, I love the transfer portal one time. I think everybody, every kid should be, you know, hey, one free transfer portal. You can, you know, after your freshman year, your sophomore year, you find out you're not going to play. Hey, hit the transfer portal, hit the road. Your second time, I, I think you, you they can't, you, we just can't keep on this bouncing around. Every year you go to another school looking for the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I mean, you, you know, after the second, the second time, you need to sit out a year. Uh, that's just my humble opinion. I, and listen, Grace, I am the old guy, old get off your lawn guy, because I'm a generation ahead of you. So, you know, I, and I don't care if people think I'm the get off your lawn guy, because I probably am. But that being said, Ray, I want everybody out there to have a wonderful Christmas. Bless everybody. Wonderful New Year, and, and you know, listen, National Signing Day, very exciting. Very excited for the Cajuns and the Tigers, and so thank you all very much, and, and you and Hannah. Tell Hannah to keep belting out, boy, she's on a roll this morning. That she White is, Christmas, brother. Ben Elvis, man, <laughs> outstanding job. Y'all have a great day, guys. Manny, Merry Christmas, bud. Thank you. Yeah, and, and just to quickly touch on what Manny, look, I, I, this is the world we live in now. And I actually like Manny's idea. You want to enter the transfer portal, you want to transfer without any penalty, you can do so once. I, I would agree with that. Hey, look, get every kid an opportunity. Maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe you don't get the playing time. Maybe an injury has put you on the depth chart. You know, that's what happened to Joe Burrow. He got banged up and, and got passed on the depth chart at Ohio State, and but he actually graduated from Ohio State and then got in the transfer port, you know, transferred that way without penalty, right? So I I got no problem with that. I understand why the transfer portal exists. But Manny's idea of, hey, you get one freebie, right? You get one transfer portal move. But you know, JT Daniels, he started at all three places. He started at USC, but got injured, lost his job. He started at Georgia, wasn't good enough, got benched. Stinson Bennett took his job. Went to West Virginia. Why not go back another year? Now he's going to Rice. I, there's got to be some accountability here. There's got to be some, you know, sense of, hey, you make a commitment. I know the coaches leave and come and go. I get all that. Okay. I know they don't set a good standard because the coach will leave in the middle of the night and just bail on the program and bail on the kids and lie to the kids. See the entire career of Tommy Doberville? I get it. I do. I really do. But, you know, I don't know. I remember do as I do, not as I, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I 
I, I don't know. Are, are we setting a bad example here? Like, I just, oh, if you don't like your spot, just leave. I don't know, man. So, sometimes fighting through adversity builds character. I'm sorry, it does. Uh, coming out of the Cajuns football, Xavion uh, Coleman from Picayune Memorial High School. Defensive tackle has signed from Picayune, Mississippi. Boom, another one. Now. Update. Not only is she handling the Christmas music, like Manny said, now she's giving us updates via National Signing Day on top yes. of it. I, I literally keep hitting the refresh button on LSU football, McNeese <laughs> football, and Cadence football. <laughs> Every time a little red dot pops up, yeah, I yeah, yeah. You're going to have your hands full this morning. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk more college football with our guy Bill Bender from the Sporting News. He joins us next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number 36. Your precious little ones should receive a few boxes of boring clothes under the tree. Yeah, they'll surely be disappointed, but that helps build character. This helpful holiday tip Brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It has been a very, very busy Wednesday here. Just a few days before Christmas, but overnight, Carlos Correa, the former Houston Astros All-Star World Series champion, flips, ironically, on the eve of National Signing Day, decides to not sign the 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. Instead, reports are coming out that he's going to sign a 12-year, $315 million deal with the New York Mets. Then shortly before we went on the air, sad news, four-time Super Bowl champion, one of the greatest running backs of all time, and the man involved in the most iconic play in NFL history, the Immaculate Reception. Franco Harris passes away at the age of 72. They were going to retire Franco's number 32 jersey this Saturday in a game against the Raiders. It's also the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Unbelievable. Unbelievable and surreal. Oh, and it just so happens to be National Signing Day. A flurry of activity with transfer and the transfer portal last night. We're seeing the reports coming in from colleges from coast to coast about the commitments that they have actually signed and are bringing in to their programs. And it's also, guess what, bowl season. To break it all down for us as the college football reporter columnist we trust more than most, he's Bill Bender from the Sporting News. Bill, good morning, brother. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bud. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, Let's start with national signing day and, and and it feels this way to me that for a couple years the early signing period has become the most important for the power five schools right they get the majority of their class in a lot of those guys actually try to enroll early now these days to be on campus for spring football but it feels like the rest of the groups of schools the group of five And now even down to FCS level programs are also trying to get more guys in the early signing period. Are we trending in a direction where that may be become the only signing period we have and the traditional one that you and I grew up with is going to become an afterthought? 
Yeah, the traditional one already is an afterthought, in my opinion. Um, you know, it, it, most of it's wrapped up. You try to come up with, you know, we'll have guys flip today. I don't follow signing days in recruiting as closely as some other writers. I still, you know, see the classes. But, yeah, I mean, and, and they may even move this calendar up more. So, because I think the transfer portal ha- has – kind of overtaken some other things in the sport. So, That's right. Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely doesn't have the same weight that it did maybe when you and I were growing up. We've had a handful of bowl games already, and some interesting ones, some, some good ones. What's kind of stood out to you early on in this bowl season? Anything? Frank Gore Jr. running for 319 <laughs> yards. That was a, start, that was a great performance i mean i watched a lot of that when there was nfl games going on i was watching frank gore run all over the place um you know, last night a couple max schools got wins that was nice for toledo and eastern michigan we got a uh, western kentucky and south alabama today i mean i watch them because like i tell people i mean once these are over college football's over so you might as well enjoy as much college football as you can before the season's over um weather like yesterday eastern michigan was playing in the cold and Toledo and uh, Liberty were playing in a rainstorm, so not always the best weather for some of these bowl games, I suppose. Yeah, uh, for Friday, I'll be heading up to Shreveport for the Independence Bowl between Louisiana and Houston, and the projected uh, temperature is the high of 29, a low of 19, and with the wind chill, uh, minus one. <laughs> so I'm sure that's ever. I'm sure you're dreaming of that one, but uh, you know it's. It's, uh, you know, typically when you think bowl games, you think warm weather, but these uh, lower ones go quick, too. I mean, before you know it, it'll be next week, and we'll be, you know, in the heavy hitters, the New Year's Day Six Bowls, the, you know, the big ones. So it goes fast. I, I, like I said, I told people to enjoy it no matter what the weather is. It's cold up here in Ohio, so it doesn't really bother me. You know, you mentioned the New Year's Day Six Bowl games, and, and those are, are fascinating to me, but I, I want to ask you one that's not – a New Year's Day six bowl game because I think it 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 could be a big statement game for the offseason for the two teams involved and that's the 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 Gator Bowl. I mean of all the non New Year's six day bowl games, this is the one that kind of intrigues me the most because South Carolina, the way they ended that season and Spencer Rattler just woke up and the Gamecocks take down Tennessee and Clemson, right? And they end the season so strong. Notre Dame after a rough start. They're looking to kind of put a, a exclamation point on a, a pretty good first season for Coach Freeman. Uh, that's the one that intrigues me the most. What non-New Year's Day six bowl game intrigues you the most, Bill? Yeah, probably that one. Not to steal. I mean, the same. But, yeah, I mean, both teams have a tremendous chance to, to build some momentum. So, I think that's that's the one outside of the New Year's Day six that I'll definitely have my eye on. Now, Mississippi State and Illinois, kind of for the wrong reasons, um, with Mike Leach passing away. But in that game, though, you'll have a, a tremendous contrast of styles. Illinois is going to try to play bully ball and run it, and, and we'll see what Mississippi State does with new coach Zach Arnett throwing it around the yard, hopefully, and a fitting tribute to Mike Leach. So, I think those are the two, and Anytime you get an SEC Big Ten matchup, I'm definitely uh, heating up. I think Oregon and North Carolina will be fun. Bo Nix and Drake May and, you know, two quarterbacks that are coming back to their school next year. So that, that one will have a lot of points on it. What do you make of the reports coming out that May was pursued and offered 
like millions upon millions of dollars in NIL deals from other schools. And instead, he decides to stay put and come back to play for Mac Brown another year. I hope they're not true. I mean, I'm going to assume, well, I don't assume anything. I mean, we'll, we'll see that it's like a lot of people were saying, well, they didn't say who, right. The, the deals, um, you know, there's a lot of people saying that. So, um, not good for the sport. If we're, we're going to that number already. Uh, and I'm not saying that is disparaging Drake may. He's a great player. I got to talk to him this fall. He was awesome. And, uh, but I mean, I, I've said this all along when the market dictates that, it's possible for a college quarterback to uh, be uh, making more money than, say, Joe Burrow, then that's probably a problem. <laughs> yeah, well said. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're talking with Bill Bender, the award-winning columnist reporter from the Sporting News. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right. I was a bit surprised about the news coming out with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Because, you know, we've seen this team during Saban's tenure when they're not playing in a playoff or they're not playing for a national championship game. And they seem to be, I don't know, a little lifeless. We've seen them lose against the likes of Utah and Oklahoma. And, you know, they seem to be checked out a lot of times. And a lot of people expected Bryce Young and Will Anderson to opt out, declare for the draft, and prepare for it. They instead opt to get and stay in and play in their bowl game, were you surprised by that? And what does that say about what Saban's trying to do this offseason with the Tide? Yeah, he's setting a setting a bar for next year, you know, trying to get everything going, program setter. I, I, you know what? I'm fine with Young and Anderson playing. I always say this every year. is like, it's their decision, you know, football. If they want to play with their teammates, let them play with their teammates. If they don't, that's fine. And, you know, everybody, I, I go back to last year and everybody was going crazy when Matt Corral twisted his ankle. Act like his career was ruined. It's like, come on, man. Like, let him play. Like, Jalen Smith and Jake Butt are exceptions to the rule. But, you know, for Alabama, yeah, they want to set the tone for next season. They had a couple losses. This is the smallest spread that they've had all year. So, they're going to have, have to come out and play. Uh, it'll be an int- interesting game. I like Alabama to win. And, yeah, you mentioned the Utah and Oklahoma uh, games. That has happened to them, but those are the only two in the last 15 years that, uh, that have happened to them. So I'm sure they'll come out ready to play. Yeah, I expect a more focused Bama, kind of like when they played Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl, right? Uh, that I, I remember feel... that one too. That was over in the first eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. They were, they were making a statement there. They, they played a little angry that day. Uh, what's your instinct with the Capital One Orange Bowl? You know, it's the most orange of all orange bowls, but Tennessee, not going to have Hooker because of the injury, not going to have Hyatt because he declared for the draft. Uh, Clemson is going to be playing their new, I guess, their new guy, their new starter at quarterback. What do you make of the battle between the Vols and the Tigers? Um, You know, I, a lot of orange, obviously. I, I think for, for me, it's, seen what Cade Klubnick can do for Clemson. Right. Now, unfortunately for Tennessee, no Hendon Hooker, no Cedric Kelman, no Jalen Hyatt. I mean, that's we'll see what their offense They'll get a little bit of a preview for next year, although they've got I'm sure they'll have more players coming in, uh, especially at the quarterback position. But I think uh, it'll be a fun game. 
for Clemson, you know, this is a, another chance to play an SEC opponent. They, they've kind of built their program with big wins over SEC teams, and both of these teams got shelled by South Carolina. So I, I think it's going to be a fun game. I, out of the four New Year's Day six bulls that aren't playoff games, I think either this one or Utah and uh, Penn State will be the closest one. And But I think I like Clemson to win this game. I like Cade Klubnik. He's been impressive when he's played. I want to ask you about the Cotton Bowl because it's a huge game for Tulane. And, you know, this is their biggest bowl game they've been in since the 1940s. So anytime you can do something for the first time since World War II, it's a huge accomplishment. And there's a lot of buzz about Willie Fritz and what he's doing with his recruiting classes and everything else like that. And obviously, on paper, USC is the more talented team. So do you give the Green Wave a shot in Dallas against the Heisman Trophy winner? I mean, you always get a shot. Uh, you know, obviously, they're a physical team. They run the football well. Um, I think, uh, you know, on the other end, though, is, you know, Caleb Williams, is he going to play? His hamstring, obviously, he said he's confident he's going to play. That tilts the line a little bit if you've got to deal with that. And USC's kind of taking care of business against the two group of five schools they played. And they weren't like – they beat Rice, and then they beat uh, Fresno State by a bunch. So – I think Tulane would be up against it, but at the same time, you know, they're somewhat close to home, uh, going to be fired up to play. I'm sure they'll try to control the clock a little bit. Tajay Spears could have some success against that USC run defense, so maybe they can slow the game down a little bit and give themselves a chance in the fourth quarter, but stopping Caleb Williams and that group of receivers won't be easy. The two semifinals, Michigan, TCU, and the Fiesta Bowl, and the other one, Georgia, Ohio State, in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Who do you like in those two games and why? Um, you know, I, I like Michigan, but I think it could take a half. I think TCU is going to make some plays on them. If Max Duggan's a factor running the football, then then they'll have a chance. And then in the other one, I you know Georgia, I mean, it's, why would I not pick against Georgia? But Ohio State can beat them. They could if they, they come out and play their A game and make Georgia uncomfortable with those receivers. C.J. Stroud's going to have to have his best game of the year. They're going to have to run the football a little bit. but um, And then their defense is going to have to get after Stetson Bennett. But I, I don't know. I just think Georgia's a more physical version of Michigan, and that's going to cause Ohio State some problems in the fourth quarter. And, you know, we get Michigan and Georgia again. And, you know, I remember what happened last year. Obviously, a blowout. We'll see what's changed. Bill? Appreciate your time, as always. Brother, your insight is greatly appreciated. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bud. Hope you enjoy the holidays and all the bowl games. Yeah, Merry Christmas, man. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, You guys be well down there. I'll talk to you soon. It's Bill Bender from the Sporting News, college football reporter, columnist, joining us here on RP3 and Company. We're going to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number two. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Make sure to tune in tonight from 6 to 7 for the McNeese Coaches Show presented by Maplewood Burgers. Line a bit out of Westlake in the Southwest Louisiana Law Center. Jim Guzzolo, that's right, our buddy, Jimmy G from LC, is going to be talking all things Cowboys tonight. So tune in, starting at 6 for the McNeese Coaches Show right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Poll question of the day, of course, is Christmas theme. It's our foodie poll question of the week. 
we asked you, what's the best part of building a gingerbread house? Right now, 46% of you say eating the gingerbread men. 38% say other. 8% say building the house. 8% say eating the toppings. That's their favorite. Keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week, which, of course, is our poll question of the day every single Wednesday. Leave you comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean. You know, no one needs you to get sideways. No need for all that nonsense. Let's be right. Let's do it the right way. It's Christmas for crying out loud. Come on. Hour number three coming up. We'll kick it off with James Mueller. He covers the University of Houston Cougars. who are taking on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in the Independence Bowl this Friday. We'll get a look behind enemy lines, so to speak. That's coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. It has been an extremely busy morning here on RP3 and Company. Overnight, Carlos Correa, the former Houston Astros all-star shortstop World Series champion decides not to sign the 13-year $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. Reportedly, he's going to sign a 12-year $315 million deal with the New York Mets. Right before we went on the air, four-time Super Bowl champion and one of the greatest running backs of all time and a man who was part of the most iconic play In NFL history, Franco Harris passes away at the age of 72. Oh, and on top of it, it's National Signing Day, a flurry of activity. You can go to 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com to get up-to-date information concerning the Louisiana Raging Cajuns who have been signing guys left and right. The Menise Cowboys have been active this morning as well. That's a big deal for an FCS program to be able to sign that many guys during the early period. That typically does not happen. And, of course, we'll keep you up to date with the LSU Tigers. But right now, kicking off hour number three, we're going to talk a little bit about the Independence Bowl, which will be Friday, in sunny conditions, but also chilly conditions, where the temperature, the high is supposed to be 29, the low 18, and with the wind chill around 1 degrees. To talk more about this game and give us insight about what the Houston Cougars are bringing to the table for this ball game is the sports editor for the Daily Cougar and an analyst on Folks Talk Sports. James Mueller joins us. James, good morning to you, brother. Merry Christmas to you and your family. How are you? Good. How are y'all? We're doing great. I can't wait to wear my parka that I bought for my Alaska trip a couple years ago for a bowl game in Louisiana on Friday. Uh, I'm gearing up, gearing up for that. Uh, but no, let, let's let's talk a little bit about this game because I, I find it uh, immensely intriguing. I think both 
teams are very similar in the regard of expectations were higher uh, heading into the season. And I think both teams fell short of their preseason expectations. And I think that maybe makes this bowl game feel a little bit more important for both of them to be able to have some momentum heading into the offseason. Is that the case for the Cougs? Yeah, for sure. Um, Going into the season, Houston was predicted to not only win the American, but most people thought they'd be, you know, the uh, group of five's representative in a New Year's Six Bowl. They didn't even get close to any of that. And a couple weeks ago when Dana Holgerson spoke with the Houston media, he called the season disappointing and said that a lot, I mean, there's been years in the past where he hasn't been excited about certain bowl games, but this year uh, with the Independence Bowl, he's really pumped up because he feels like they owe Houston fans a win after, you know, falling so short of all the goals that were set coming into the season. So I think there's definitely a little extra juice within this Houston program um, wanting to end this season on the right way and sort of give them a little momentum as they head into the Big 12. What happened this season for for Cougars? Because they had talented guys coming back. You got a veteran coach who's obviously an offensive genius in Holgerson. Uh, what happened? Why did this team end up being, uh, I guess, what, 7-5? and five? Um, From my perspective, the big thing was just consistency. They never they, – they, they rarely put together a full 60-minute game, and it was either the offense was playing really well or the defense was playing well, not both at the same time. Um, so – Either they'd be in a lot of shootouts uh, or low-scoring stuff. Um, but in the end, you know, it was just one side of the ball that was executing while the other was struggling. And so there was a lot of pressure on whichever side of the ball that was in a particular game. And a lot of games came down to one score, um, had a couple, uh, three overtime games. But there was a lot of – this season could have ended up – they could have ended up, you know, 4-8 and eight or 10-2. and two. Um, But – in the end, it just was a lack of consistency. They also had some key injuries throughout the year. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, they just they just couldn't put together a full 60 minutes of complete football. Tell us a little bit about the offense. That's what Dana's known for. Of course, he comes from the, the air raid offense, the Mike Leach coaching tree, which has been discussed a lot here of late. Um, what does the Cougars' offense look like, and is it – what we expect it to be or what we always think a Dana Holgerson offense should look like. Yeah. So coming into the year, it wasn't the typical Dana Holgerson offense you would think of. There was a lot more. um, They tried to establish the run a lot more, but about midway through the season, Clayton tune Houston's quarterback, basically he told the media that he met with Holgerson and talked about just wanting to air it out more. And over the second half of the season, they've been a pass heavy team. Clayton Toons put up insane numbers. Uh, him and wide receiver Tank Dell have been one of the top duos in the country. Uh, so that's definitely one connection to watch. And then uh, running back Stacy Sneed, who's in his third year with the program but hadn't really played significantly, has sort of emerged as the Cougars' lead back um, throughout the latter half of the season. So he'll, I expect him to get the start in the backfield. But Houston has become much more pass-heavy, and it's been more the air raid that you'd expect from Dana Holgerson as the season's progressed. With conditions being frigid and wind going to be playing a factor maybe all the way up to maybe 16, 17 miles per hour, is the Houston Cougars' offense built to be able to rely more on the run game for this game, do you think? I mean, Dana does – 
he's talked about, you know, the importance of establishing the run, and they've made a lot of progression over the year. The offensive line has – it was a work in progress. They were trying to piece things together. They've shown a lot of improvement. So I do think they can, you know they're, – they're built to succeed as a running team. They can't uh, – they're not going to win the game that's completely ground and pound. They're going to have to air it out a little bit. But they are – they do have the pieces to, you know, be able to – get the run game going and sort of open things up in the past game. But, yeah, for sure, I expect uh, with just the conditions, you might see a little more um, uh, activity on the ground for Houston. We're talking with James Mueller. He's the sports editor for the Daily Cougar. He's also an analyst on Folks Talk Sports. He joins us here in RP3 and Company as we preview the Independence Bowl between the Houston Cougars and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Let's go to the other side of the football what can Cajun fans expect to see Friday afternoon up in Shreveport? What type of defense are the Cougars going to be bringing to the table? Yeah, so the defense has been really interesting. The Houston suffered a lot of injuries. Uh, Derek Parrish, defense lineman, went down against Texas Tech. He was Houston's top guy on defense. Um, and so they've sort of had to retool up there. They've still, last year they were among the nation's leaders in sacks. They still had a decent year, but they just haven't gotten the same amount of pressure this year. But that front is still the strength of this team. Um, If they're able to stop the run and get some pressure on the quarterback, that's when they play well. If not, uh, teams have just exposed them through the air for the most part. They have some younger corners um, with losing Marcus Jones and Demarion Williams last year. Um, And so teams have taken advantage of that so it really comes down to the front seven uh how they play and if they can sort of force force opponents into longer passing downs because the secondary apart from a few games has really struggled uh throughout the course of the year what about special teams is that a is that an asset or is that something that could uh cost the cougars in friday's game yeah, special teams has been sort of up and down this year. There's been some lack of execution on kicks, missed chip shots, things like that, some busted coverages and punts and kicks. Um, but they have had a few breakthroughs. Jace Rogers, who's a defensive back, returned one, um, a kickoff for a touchdown, and that was a big momentum swing. They do have the athletes to sort of make it impact but I wouldn't say it's like last year where they had Marcus Jones and he had four or five returns and special teams was just huge for them I think they, they as long as they just don't make a key mistake uh it won't cost them but I highly doubt that special teams will win or win them the game either because they just haven't had that same explosiveness um on special teams what's an under the radar x factor in this game in your opinion James Ooh, so I'd say probably there's a few guys. Uh, one guy on defense, Elias Bell, defense alignment. Um, he's a Louisiana native, and he's been he, – he can really impact the game. Um, he's sort of under the radar, but um, just he's talked about how this is his final collegiate game and sort of looking to end it the right way and, you know, being in his home – State, so I think he's a player to watch, and because he can really be disruptive up there, he's he's moved from um, interior to defensive end, and so if he can get some pressure um, on the Louisiana line and force you know 
the offense to be uncomfortable, I think that would be a key factor for the Cougars. So I'm looking at him as one of my players to watch for sure. Not to put you on the spot, but who do you think is going to win this game, bud, and why? I got Houston by 10. I just think um, from what talking to people in the program, what I've seen, I just think the juices are just flowing and this game means a little more um, right now. And they've got all most of their veterans back. They didn't have many opt-outs. So the players really want to end this thing the right way. So in the end, I think it will be close, but I think the Houston offense will just be a little too much for Louisiana in the end. And so I got the Cougars by 10. I'd be remiss if I don't ask you about the men's basketball program as well because having a tremendous season was ranked number one in the polls before that loss to Alabama, but they're still ranked in the top five. They're taking on the McNeese Cowboys tonight in non-conference action uh, over there in Houston. What makes this Cougars men's basketball team just so good and look and has the look of an actual Final Four and national title contender? Yeah, it all comes back to Kelvin Sampson. He just gets the most out of the kids. They preach. It all starts on the defensive end of things, and they preach, you know, effort, hustled. They're not going to be a team that's out-hustled. They'll always be the first team on the floor after a loose ball, taking charges, things like that. And they've always been good on the boards as well. Um, so it's, it's the little things. While they're not a great shooting team, uh, they make up for it with offensive rebounds, uh, holding teams to I think they're around 50 points a game um, this year. So it's just just those things that uh, Samson gets the most out of his kids, and they don't have to score 80 a night to win, which is the biggest key in my opinion, just what makes this team so good. And they have the pieces here. They have a lot of veterans and some nice young guys like Jairus Walker, Terrence Arsenault, players like that. So I think there's a good mix there. And the way that Kelvin Sampson gets to these kids just gets the most out of them, and it makes them really hard to beat. James, appreciate your time, brother. Thank you so much for it. And uh, tell the folks uh, if they're interested and where they can go to read all your work and how they can follow you on social media. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm on Twitter at JDM2186. And then my uh, all my UH coverage is at thedailycooler.com. Brother, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you and your family, my friend. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Merry Christmas. Thanks. James Mueller from the Daily Cougar. He likes the Cougs. They're motivated, just like the Louisiana Raging Cajuns are. This should be a good game. The conditions are going to play a role in this. Boy, it feels like special teams are going to play a role in this ball game as well on Friday there in the chilly, windy conditions of Shreveport for the Independence Bowl between the Cougars and the Raging Cajuns. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update you with National Signing Day news. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number 48. Before you light a roaring holiday fire, make sure the flue is open. Having your house filled with smoke and the fire department dropping by is not cheerful. This helpful holiday tip brought to you by your family at The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and 
Oh, the biggest names in today's music are taking over Gulf Shores, Alabama in 2023. That's right. Hangout Fest returns May 19th to the 21st with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Calvin Harris, Paramore, Little Nas X, essentially everyone in Kevin Foote's iPod playlist. It's all right there. The game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles has VIP passes to Hangout Fest. You want to go, you want to be part of the action, you want to get special access, you can enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. The VIP treatment, this is what it's going to give you. Listen up. You're going to have access to exclusive viewing areas. That's right. You're not going to have to be all jammed in like sardines with a bunch of other sweaty people. You're going to have access to stage side pools, hot tubs, and gourmet food. Man, that sounds like you're a rock star. Hangout Fest is a beach vacation like none other, and you can find out more and also enter to win at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. National Signing Day is flurry of activity. LSU has a couple of guys that have signed on the dotted line. It's official. Michael Doherty, safety out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. He has committed. He has signed. He is coming to the boot to play for the Tigers. Also in Ricky Collins, quarterback out of Woodlawn High School in Baton Rouge. Gives him another quarterback prospect in the room. So that's some early signees right now. Only two of them for LSU, but we expect plenty more to be coming in the next few hours. Now, as for the McNeese Cowboys, they are out of control. I haven't seen an FCS program attack the early signing period like this probably ever. Credit Gary Goff and his staff because they have been immensely busy over in Lake Chuck. Here's who they brought in. Jaden Matthews, defensive back out of East Mississippi Community College in Moss Point. He's signed with the Cowboys. Young man, I'm going to butcher this last name. The first name <laughs> is Jelani. The last name is Chevalier? She- uh, Chevalier? Chevalier? I say Chevalier. Chevalier. There it is. Jelani Chevalier. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll practice that name before I have to interview him. Defensive back out of Port Arthur High School in Port Arthur, Texas. He's committed. We have another one. Plenty of activity here. Jamal Levi, wide receiver out of Barb High School, local product. He's staying at home playing for Coach Gary Golf and company. Another local product, Peyton Lemaire, linebacker out of Sulphur. He's staying close to home playing for McNeese. He's already signed. Boogsy Silvera, (laughs) defensive back out of Charleston Southern University out of Florida. He's going to be a cowboy. There we go. Corey O'Brien. There's a name I can handle. Wide receiver out of Tomball Memorial High School in Houston. He's a cowboy. And that's just some of the early guys that have signed to play for McNeese and Gary Goff. We kept hearing that they could be very aggressive in the early signing period. And these are a lot of these guys are signing now, which means they're going to enroll early, 
which means they're going to be part of spring football, which is a huge key in their development and what they are going to be able to do for McNeese. And look, they need a ton of talented guys. They do. There's there's no other way around it. Gary Goff and company, they need as many talented players to come in as possible. So another one has come in for them. Levi Wyatt, another defensive back. This one out of Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. So we knew they were going to have to address a couple positions, right, for McNeese wide receiver. They're going to have turnover. They're going to need to address quarterback. They were going to need to address defensive back as well. So McNeese being aggressive on National Signing Day early oh, yeah. period. They also have uh, David Duval, a lineman from Northwest Mississippi Community College. So a lot of people from Mississippi are coming down to the Lake Chuck. Uh, Mississippi has great community college football, so that's part of that. They got another one, another wide receiver. We talked to that about it being a position of need. Luke McMullen out of Jefferson High School in Jefferson, Texas. He's headed to McNeese as well. So they keep signing the they're signing local guys and they're signing positions of need. Defensive back, wide receiver. That's been a huge point of emphasis for McNeese here on National Signing Day, the early thing. And and, and this is amazing that golf in year number two is being able to do this. It typically, the last few years, FCS programs are an afterthought during the early signing period. It's all about the Power Five conferences that sign their guys, the majority of their classes, and then they add a few during the early period, uh, the traditional period in February. But we're seeing more group of five schools being aggressive during this time, and to have a team like McNeese coming off a four-win season, nonetheless, right, getting the quality of talent to come in here, yeah, they're hitting JUCOs hard. They're taking local guys. They're also hitting Southeast Texas, which makes a lot of sense because that's part of their recruiting footprint. Houston, Port Arthur, Beaumont, Lake Charles. They're hitting those areas, and they're going through the community colleges. So a Uh, good start to the day for the McNeese Cowboys for sure. And we still have also uh, Nate Glantz, who is uh, from Iowa State. He actually put in on the 5th, he said he's putting into the transfer portal, and he committed about – Eight nine o'clock last night that he's committed to McNeese, so we're waiting on him to sign as well this That's morning. That's right. Waiting for that paperwork to make it official, right? Um, as we know, you can say that you're going to sign, and but until the paperwork is actually sent in and signed, and they have it, it is not, not really official, <laughs> right? And we've seen this happen before. Guys flip, um, there, but yeah. So great start to National Signing Day early period for McNeese. Also a great start for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They've been immensely busy as well. And LSU's had a couple of guys start to trickle in as well. You can read all about the classes for National Signing Day for LSU, Louisiana, and McNeese. Just go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. We have the stories up on our homepage. They will constantly be updated throughout today's not only show, but for the entire day. So you want to get the latest on what's going on with your favorite college teams, LSU, Louisiana, and McNeese, just go to our website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and all that information is going to be updated right there for you. 
we got to put the National Signing Day discussion on pause. So we got to take a timeout. And when we return, it'll be time for New Orleans Saints football talk with our guy Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us. That's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Helpful holiday tip number 60. Debating whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not is pointless. Die Hard is awesome. So go ahead and sit back and watch John McClane kick butt. This helpful holiday tip is brought to you by your family at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company. Just a few days from Christmas. I'd much rather listen to Judy Garland sing, but we have to do a sports talk show. So here we are. And we have to talk about the Saints. So here we are. <laughs> and we're going to do so with our friend from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, Andrew Juge. Andrew, good morning to you, brother. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bud. How are you? Merry Christmas, Raymond, and Merry Christmas to your family as well. And and listen, uh, Judy Garland may be great, but uh, two things. Number one, you never want to hear me sing, ever. And uh, number two, uh, you look, I, you know this, I love Saints football, but uh, this might be the one time when we're talking about nine-degree weather in Cleveland uh, with winds, with a wind chill factor that puts it maybe below zero, uh, winds maybe as high as 30 to 40 mile an hour gusts. Uh, this is not a game I would like to attend in person, which is rare for me. To <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing like a good old Arctic storm uh, coming through. So let, let's let's talk about this game because I, I'm tired of talking about you know the team and its dysfunction and you know it, it's it's a dumpster fire and all this good stuff. Let's talk about this actual game because I know on paper the Browns should be the team favored here and they should win. But I've seen them since Deshaun Watson's come back, and that offense is not great. I know they got Chubb, and he's special, and he's probably going to tear up the Saints' porous run defense. But, you know, they only were able to eke out, what, 13 points against the Ravens? Like, I just, yeah, they're not dynamic on offense. They're not. No, I think they have 19 points uh, over the last two weeks. Um, so, yeah, they, they, I think they scored maybe three or six the week before that. So, yeah, the, the offense is not humming right now with Deshaun Watson. He still looks rusty to me. And, and look, when you talk about those conditions, I don't think they're uh, favorable to passing. So I, I don't know that this is the game where uh, Cleveland's going to put up a bunch of points. And uh, you, you mentioned Chubb, but he, he missed practice yesterday. So uh, all eyes on him today to see if he's able to attend practice. He's got a foot injury. And uh, if he's not able to show up again today, uh, then you have to call into question his, his availability for this game. So, obviously, that would be huge news for the Saints if Chubb is unable to go. Um, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, but, yeah, I think offensively, Cleveland has struggled to score points. And I, I don't think right now that Watson is kind of at that level that we saw him at before the suspension. Uh, and that may just take some time. But uh, I don't know that the chemistry and the rhythm is there quite yet. And that's good news for the Saints uh, as they go into this game. But, you know, in a lot of ways, I look at a team that's 6-8 and eight in Cleveland that has had similar struggles to the Saints. Uh, they may run the ball a little bit better, but 
Uh, on the other side of the ball, uh, man, is their run defense porous. And, and their run defense has been real bad all year. They just faced Tampa, the team that's worse in the league running the football, that has struggled to run the ball all year. Uh, and Tampa was able to run for over 150 yards against them. So I, I think that kind of tells you how much they've struggled. Uh, this should be a game where Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara are able to get some nice stat line. Do you anticipate them utilizing their two best offensive weapons in Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara like they did last week in the win against the Falcons? Will they actually do it two weeks in a row? Well, I think it becomes a lot easier when you have a 14 to nothing lead. So um, getting a start like that certainly makes it advantageous for running the football. Now, I think maybe they got a little bit too conservative and that allowed Atlanta to get back in that game. But yeah, look, I don't think they're going to have a choice. I, I think it's one of those games where when you talk about the conditions, I think both teams are going to run the ball. They're both going to punt uh, and they're going to hope and wait to try to break that long run. I think both run defenses have been unsuccessful this year in stopping the run. So uh, look, I think they, they're, the mentality in this game is probably going to be, look, if we keep chipping away and we keep running the ball, eventually we're going to break one of these uh, because both defenses are poor tackling, poor gap discipline. And so uh, we'll just have to see which one cracks first. But I think uh, managing the conditions is going to be key. What's the offensive line going to look like in your opinion? I know the game's not until Saturday, but we find out the news yesterday as Susie Ruiz is going to be placed on IR. His season's done, and they moved him around from guard to center this you know this season. What's the, what's the starting five offensive linemen going to be looking like for the Saints come Saturday in Cleveland? Yeah, that, that news is absolutely brutal. It's, it's unbelievable the amount of injuries the Saints have had this year. And you know, certainly I don't want to use that as an excuse for what has been a, a dismal season and um, you know, there, there's been other reasons why they've lost these games. But when you think about the guys that they have missed and at key spots, uh, critical players to their success, uh, Michael Thomas has been out most of the year. Uh, Lattimore has been out most of the year. And now, you know, you had Cesar Ruiz, who's just another key cog in, in a long laundry list of players that have been banged up and or out this year. And uh, look, I, I think offensive line, they're fortunate to get Eric McCoy back just last week. So I know they're happy about that. But now you have a question about is, is now the time to play your first round pick, Trevor Penning? Um, you know, I think he's looked a little rusty since coming back. The Saints have tried to get him on the field as much as possible as a jumbo blocker and get him kind of acclimated to the speed of the game. Uh, but look, I think whether you kick James Hurst out to right guard and put Trevor Penning in at left tackle, uh, or would you consider putting Trevor Penning at right guard just to see how it goes there? I think that's the big question this week. I mean, they have some guys on this roster that can play guard uh, and, and they could do an even swap with Ruiz. But I think you try to get creative this week and try to get Penning in your lineup. Because while the Saints do have a 4% chance to make the playoffs still, I think realistically, this has to be more about grooming for next season. I, I think at this point, Look, it's great if they can get a win and Tampa can lose again, and maybe that percentage goes up a little bit. Uh, but realistically, I think it's got to be more about seeing where you're at for next year. And so I think if you can get Penning on the field and get an opportunity to evaluate him, that's going to be really important. So I, I would put Penning in there, and let's see what he has. We're talking with Andrew Juge, co-host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. You know, something that's kind of stood out to me, and I want to get your take on this. You know, we've talked a lot about 
how this team looks like they're not being prepared properly and they're not being coached well from Dennis Allen down through the staff. But an interesting thing has stood out to me, Andrew, is that the Saints' best players this year, their absolute most consistent and best players, are Chris Olave, Alante Taylor, Jawan Johnson, and Shahid. You're talking about guys that are rookies or second-year players. There has to be some coaching going on, Andrew, because young guys take to coaching and they have to make that adjustment to the NFL because the game is different and it's more intense. So what do you make of the youngest players on the roster being the best players this year while the vets are the ones that have probably disappointed more than anything? Yeah, you know, look, first of all, I mean, we, we could go up and down the roster and kind of talk about the issues that the Saints have this year. I, I think going into the year, we talked about how soft they were at defensive tackle. Uh, and that was before we knew that David Onyemata would kind of have the struggling season. So I, I still think that position group is tough. I mean, I, I think you have aging players. I think you have in, in Cam Jordan and, and Demario Davis, they're declining and, and they're still good. You know, they make plays and I'm not ready to say that they're finished and that it's time to retire by any means, uh, but they need good young players around them now because they're not necessarily the guys carrying this defense anymore. And I, I think there are plays that they fail to make that you used to see them make. And so you're seeing maybe decline here and there. And yeah, that's where, look, I, I think Dennis Allen, certainly he had his hands are dirty here in terms of this five and nine record and, and the team struggles. But look, I, I don't know how much Dennis Allen is responsible for backs not holding on to the football. And if you were to ask me right now, what is the single most responsible thing for the saints losing the season? I would say probably number one injuries and number two fumbles. I think you can count four games between Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram, where mistakes made by running backs, either fumbling the football away or, or going out of bounds before getting a first down, cost the Saints a win. I think you can count four of those losses squarely on those guys. And I don't know that Dennis Allen is really the guy you can point to as responsible. Uh, now, again, I'm not giving Dennis Allen a pass here. I certainly think he's he's had his uh, share of difficulties in his first year coaching the Saints. Uh, but, yeah, no, I do think some of this can be placed on the players and, and – uh, Look, I think there's a lot of blame to go around, and the Saints are going to have to look at this very critically in the offseason. Uh, but I, I think it's, unfortunately, the combination of injuries and maybe some of the guys that they were counting on not really living up to their contracts, not really living up to their star status, uh, that has had a major impact on the season, for sure. Yeah, and but the, I mean, but the thing that stands out to me about that is Pete Werner, Caden Ellis, Alante Taylor, Chris Olave. Shahid, the young guys are the ones that have stepped up. They have flourished. They have stepped up like they are vets, and the vets are the ones that have wildly disappointed and look slow and don't tackle properly and fumble the football. You know, we thought before the start of the season, Andrew, is like, well, this is a veteran-laden team. And when you think of veteran-laden teams, you think of teams that kind of coach themselves, Right. And prepare themselves. So I, I don't want to give DA a pass either. That's not what I'm saying here because, you know, he's the head coach. But I don't know, man. There's something to be said that the vets have been the biggest disappointments. The guys that should be coaching themselves and should be motivated to go out there and lead the team haven't really done it. 
Yeah, I would say Alvin Kamara in particular has been a real head scratcher, just his uh, demeanor on the field. And uh, look, I, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. And look, I think on some level, that's got to give you a little bit of excitement if you're a Saints fan about what the future looks like. You know, maybe the cupboard is not so bare in terms of talent. I mean, to find a guy like Rashid Shahid as an undrafted guy and just see the contributions that he's making as a rookie is, is incredible. And it looks like he looks like, you know, the Saints have a long history of having undrafted guys uh, contribute offensively during the Sean Payton era. And it's great to see that condition, that uh, tradition continue. I mean, we've seen Chris Ivory and Kyrie Robinson and Lance Moore and Willie Sneed. I mean, we've seen so many guys come through this offense that were undrafted and contribute in really significant ways. And Shahid is doing that now. So that that's really exciting. We, I think Cesar Ruiz, obviously he just got injured and we just talked about him going on IR, but he's another guy that's, completely turned a corner yeah and I think breakout season for him yeah breakout season for him Andrew and I think you've got to look at the coaching staff and I'm talking about the decision to bring back Doug Marone as the offensive line coach and Zach Streep and Jari Evans that are part of that staff and and the offensive line coaching staff and the work that they've done and that they've put in and Cesar Ruiz to kind of turn around his career and turn him into a productive player uh, is just really impressive and those are the guys I want coaching Trevor Penning because if they can make that kind of turnaround with Cesar Ruiz, my, my confidence level in them helping Trevor Penning figure it out is very high as well. So, yeah, look, I, I think there will be some changes this offseason to the coaching staff, whether that's Dennis Allen or other guys on the staff. You know, we'll have to wait and see. I, I think at this point, Dennis Allen's job is safe. Uh, we'll have to see how these next three weeks go. Uh, but, uh, look, that's the silver lining. As you look to 2023 as a Saints fan, there are a lot of young players on this roster that are very good, very, very talented, and have a lot of potential, and maybe they can help turn this around. Is Jawan Johnson the star tight end that they've been searching for since, I guess, Benjamin Watson's first tenure? You know, it's so funny. We had a, we did a lot of shows in the offseason and leading up to the season, and, and, you know, a common talking point that we would go through is what position groups are the weakest on this team? And consistently, I would always say defensive tackle, running back, and tight end in no specific order. And I think that running back and, and defensive tackle has maybe even been worse than we thought it would be. Uh, so that, that has turned out to be true. But tight end, man, you look at, first of all, Adam Troutman, who has kind of come into his own as a blocking tight end. His role has been reduced a little bit. And I think he's kind of found his place where he can be more productive without making mistakes in a more limited role. And what has allowed him to become that player is the development of Jawan Johnson. And you t- he's got seven touchdowns now this season already uh, with three more games to go. He's been incredibly productive. And, you know, he, he's another guy, by the way, that came to the Saints as an undrafted rookie. And there it is. The thing that's, the, the thing that's so impressive about him is that you know, he came into this league as maybe a little bit of a slower receiver, inconsistent hands. He had a nice frame, nice size, but he didn't run great routes. He was shaky as a blocker. And, and he just put in the work. And over the three years that he's been in the NFL, he's completely changed his body composition. He's improved his blocking. He's improved his route running. And now you see him as a fully developed playmaking tight end that, that every week he's catching passes, he's scoring touchdowns. His chemistry with Andy Dalton is undeniable. And uh, that's been one of the really great things this season, that, that his development has been one of the biggest nice surprises. It's been absolutely phenomenal to see him kind of flourish. And and if you're thinking moving forward, well, you got Juwan at tight end, Alave at wide receiver, you got Shahid now. 
they got some pieces, right? They still have to figure out defensive line, which has been absolute garbage. And is Peyton Turner ever going to make an impact and be healthy? Is he Marcus Davenport 2.0? But, and running back is obviously a, a glaring need. Should have never let Latavius Murray go. But they have some pieces. They, they really do, Andrew. It's a weird thing to say for a team that's obviously having a terrible year, but there's some glimmers of hope if you're a Saints fan that, hey, they got some nice pieces for next season. When you look at this division, I, we know that all, all these teams are bad right now, but when I look at this division and I think about Tampa, I don't think Tom – if Tom Brady comes back, I don't think it's going to be with the Bucks next year. Uh, and you look at Todd Bowles and as a coach – uh, not not too impressed over there. And then in Carolina, we have no idea who the quarterback and coach are going to be next year. That's wide open. Uh, and, and when you look at Atlanta, Arthur Smith, he might only have one year left if they don't have a winning season. And Desmond Ritter in his first start uh, was not impressive at all. And so when I look at this division, uh, I see four teams that have question marks at quarterback and question marks at head coach. And it's kind of like, hey, which one has the best offseason and how is that going to help them? Uh, maybe have a shot at winning this division next year. So it's wide open. You're not in a division with Patrick Mahomes. You're not in a division with, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, a young Aaron Rodgers, for example, where you feel like, gosh, we might be looking at not winning this division for the next 15 years. There's no situation like that right now in the NFC South. And so it's wide open. It's there for the taking. And so whether the Saints can miraculously pull this off this year and win the division, or they have to reload in the offseason and try again for next year, uh, I think that's the silver lining here is that this, this division in the NFC South in general is so bad uh, that anybody it's there for anybody to take it. Brother, appreciate your time as always. Merry Christmas to you and your family, bud. Be safe over the holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. Merry Christmas to you and looking forward to it. We're going to take a time out. Our final one. We'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and give you the latest updates on National Signing Day concerning the Cajuns, Cowboys, and Tigers. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. NBA fans, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NBA this holiday season. Look, I love those same-game parlays. You know I love the player props, rebounds, scoring, double-doubles, the games inside the game, so to speak. And right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving Louisiana NBA fans a special gift. For a limited time, you can get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Head to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in under the Promos tab, and place an eligible bet of your choice on a New Orleans game. If it doesn't hit, you'll get your money back in a free bet. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. New customers can sign up with promo code 1037GAME and get a no-sweat bet on every New Orleans Pelicans game this December. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and opt in today to receive this limited-time offer only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I want to take a moment to thank our guests, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. James Mueller covers the Houston Cougars and Andrew Juge from the Saints Half Hour podcast. Latest updates on National Signing Day. A total of 19 signees so far for the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns with seven of those 19 hailing from the state of Louisiana. The Meanese Cowboys have 11 signees, two from the state of Louisiana, and LSU has three signees, two of those from the Bayou State. We'll keep you up to date on National Signing Day. Just visit our website, 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com throughout today's show. 
and throughout today, period. That's going to do it for our show. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. It was about making gingerbread houses. What's your favorite thing to do when it comes to the gingerbread house? Is it the decorating? Is it the eating? Or is it other, which, you know, could be anything. 35% say eating the gingerbread man. 35% say other. 24% say eating the toppings. 6% say building the house. Thanks to all who voted and commented. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parts III. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.